Rejoice much in their mind and left their flocks of feeding and tempest, storm, and wind and went to Bethlehem straightway, the Son of God to find. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Now to
Thank you for your singing. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and have come to worship him. And they came into the house, and saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These wise men give us a tremendous example of what needs to be at the core of any celebration of the birth of Jesus. They came to worship. That is what it was all about for these wise men. They saw the star, they realized what it meant, and they came to worship. The discernment in realizing what the star meant, the long journey they undertook to seek for Jesus, the expensive gifts they packed along to give the newborn king were all part of it. It was part of their expression of worship. If they were going to worship Jesus, this is what had to be done in order for that worship to happen. And that is the example that we need to learn from. Our celebration of the birth of Jesus should be to worship, nothing less than that. All that we do should be done so that this worship can happen. Anything that, ta anything that takes away from worship happening shouldn't be done. As we celebrate Christmas this year, let's make sure that our celebration is one of worship. Let's be sure we prepare by doing what, is need, what we need to do so that we can worship by putting aside the things that don't lead to worship. Worshiping Jesus for the incarnation is what needs to be about. Good morning. I'm just thankful that we can come and worship our Savior this morning in this facility that we have here. Thank you all for coming. And we'll go to our call to worship in the bulletin here if we all want to read it together. That'd be good. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His faithfulness, love, endures forever. Who can list the glorious miracles of the Lord? Who can ever praise Him enough? That comes from Psalm 106. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you again for the beautiful weather. It's, it, it's lots of snow, but it's, we need the moisture, and it sure looks like Christmas. It's a, a white Christmas we're going to have this year, and we can all look forward to that. Just pray that you'll be with us all this morning, that we can open our hearts and minds to what you have to tell us this morning. Pray you'll be with Pastor Glenn as he does that. In Jesus' name, amen.
Good morning. I am going to be reading from the book of John, chapters 1, verses 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that the light, so that all through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the world was made through him. And the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born of a natural descent, not nor human decision, nor a, hum, a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made in his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of one, the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He comes after me, he has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in the closest relationship with the Father who has made him known. Charlie, for reading that, the music team for um, leading us and opening us, opening our service and and uh, pointing us to Jesus Christ and what it's all about. And thank you for doing the Advent reading as well. As we look into this passage that was just read for us, um, let's take time to just bow in prayer first of all and ask God to guide our thoughts as we do that. Lord God, it is with with gratitude that we come to you and open our hearts to this passage and what it is saying to us. Lord, this is your word to us and, uh, and we need to understand what it is that you are saying. So help us, Lord, just to just to hear your word this morning. Help me to speak your word. Help us all to hear your word. And just open our thoughts and guide us through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We pray this in your name. Amen. A woman was out Christmas shopping with her two children. And after many hours of looking at row after row of toys and everything else imaginable and hearing both her children asking for everything that they saw on those many shelves, uh, she finally made it out of the store and to the elevator with her two kids. 
And she was feeling what so many, especially those with young children, <laughs> uh, feel during the holiday season. Uh, overwhelming pressure to go to every party, taste all the holiday food and treats, get that perfect gift for everybody on her list, and making sure you don't forget to get, every, get a card sent out to everybody and the pressure of making sure that get one sent to everyone that sends us one and not to mention getting the kids everything they asked for and all that, that overwhelming pressure. Uh, at any rate, the elevator doors opened and there was already a crowd of people in the elevator and they pushed their way she and her two kids pushed their way into the elevator with all their bags and two kids in tow. And when the doors closed of the elevator, she let out a huge sigh and then deciding she couldn't take much more. And so she said out loud, uh, to no one in particular, just to everyone in general, uh, she said, whoever started this Christmas thing should be arrested and strung up. <laughs> From the back of the elevator, a quiet, calm voice responded, uh, don't worry, ma'am, I believe they crucified him. <laughs> Remember what Christmas is about. Christmas is a big deal, but why is it a big deal? That's what we'll be focusing on again this morning. We all know that Christmas is a celebration of Jesus' birth. And last week and this week, we are focusing on the truth and the meaning and the significance of Jesus' birth. Why it is a big deal. And why it's worth celebrating. We started this focus last week. Uh, those of you here last week remember when we looked at the events that got us as a human race into the mess we're in. And how we are now desperately in need of a savior. Because of that mess we're in. We're in desperate need of a savior. Each of us individually and all of us as a whole. We are all contaminated by sin we all have been born with a sin nature. We have all sinned and thus we are separated from God and we are all headed for hell. There's nothing we can do about that. If anything is to be done about that, someone else is going to have to do it for us because we are helpless in this situation. We need a savior. That's kind of where we left off last week. We need a savior. At the close of a gospel service, the uh, story is told, uh, an intelligent-looking man came to the minister and said, I don't see any need for the blood of Christ in my salvation. I can be saved without believing in his shed blood. And the minister replied, well, very well. How do you then propose to be saved? Well, by following Jesus' example, he replied. That, that's, that's enough for anyone. And the minister, minister said, okay, I, I'm sure you want to do what's right. The word of God tells us you know how to do that. I open his Bible. He says, I read here that concerning Jesus Christ, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. I, I suppose you can say that for yourself as well. <laughs> and uh, the man kind of embarrassed said, well, not exactly. I, I have sinned sometimes. And the minister said, well, in that case, you don't need an example, but you need a savior. And the only way of salvation is by his shed blood. And that's where we are all at. We need a savior. So today we're going to continue with our discussion of our need of a Savior, which we started last week. Uh, in essence, it is the Christmas story from a theological perspective. And the reason I'm taking this angle is so that we catch the real meaning of Christmas, 
why it is a big deal and why it's worth celebrating and perhaps better understand what an appropriate celebration would be. Last week we set the stage for the Savior and hopefully we came to grips with how desperately we need one. And the great thing is God is a God who loves us and seeks to meet our needs and he has met this need. Today we're going to look at the Savior God provided. After all, that's what Christmas is about, the coming of the Savior. So, John chapter 1 in your Bibles, hopefully you're still there. Um, verses 1 to 18. This is John's account of the Christmas story. Unlike Matthew and Luke, John doesn't give us the physical facts of what happened that night so long ago. Uh, John says nothing about Mary or Joseph or the baby or the shepherds or the wise men or the star. John says nothing about any of those things. John gives us the theological truths behind these events and tells us about the Savior that God provided in that sense. And in so doing, he explains to us the real reason, the real significance of Christmas to you and I. We need to understand that. Understand the significance of Christmas to you and I. And we can understand it better, I hope, by looking at the aspects of the Savior God provided that come out in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. Just two things I want to bring out this morning. Number one, let's, let's look at the Savior needed. The Savior that we need. We're, we're going to get to John 1 eventually, but this is just maybe a bit of a review, but just uh, think about the Savior we need. We established last week that we desperately need a Savior. What kind of Savior do we need? Our sin, we saw last week, creates in us the deepest need known to man. Every human has this need because we have all sinned. It is a sin that breaks our fellowship with God. But as mentioned last week, we need fellowship with God to fill that spiritual emptiness we now have as we are created in the image of God. So we have that need. We have a need then of a restored relationship, restored fellowship with God. But because of our sin, we're unable to do anything about meeting that need. So obviously, if it's going to be met, it must be met by someone else, by a Savior. Sin has another consequence we looked at last week. God told Adam and Eve that if they ate the fruit, if they disobeyed, and in so doing brought sin and rebellion into God's creation, they would die. Sin condemns the sinner to death. That death is both physical and spiritual. Physical death didn't happen for some time to Adam and Eve, but the dying process in their physical body started right there at that moment. Spiritual death happened immediately to Adam and Eve, as it does to us as well, as soon as we sin. There's a spiritual death. So because of our sin, we are doomed to separation from God for all eternity. That's called hell. <laughs> We're powerless to do anything about it. We need a Savior. What kind of a Savior do we need? We need a Savior who will be able to and be willing to take care of the sin problem, not just for me, but for the entire world. Not just for a few people, but for everyone. Everyone who has ever lived, everyone who will ever live. In order to that, the Savior is going to have to be an awesome person, as we will see. So let's go through that. First of all, the Savior must be infinite. Savior must be infinite. He cannot be a finite human being. 
He has to be infinite. Because only an infinite sacrifice can pay for the sins of the entire world. The penalty for sin is death for each sinner. So this Savior has to pay the price for the sin of every sinner. Thus he must be an infinite person for his death to pay that much. If he were just finite or merely human, his death would be at the most sufficient for one other sinner. But there are billions of people that he has to pay the death penalty for. So he must be more than human. He must be infinite. Secondly, the Savior must be human. <laughs> the Savior must be human. Now, we're running into problems here already, aren't we? <laughs> he has to be human. If he's going to fully take our place and bear our sins, he must be fully human, just like you and I. In order to suffer and die as is required to deal with sin, he must, of course, be human. Thirdly, he must be able to give spiritual life. We are spiritually dead. The Bible tells us we're dead in our trespasses and sins. In order to regain fellowship with God, we need to be made alive spiritually. So we can have that fellowship with God that we all crave so desperately, whether we realize it or not. Seeing as we're dead spiritually, we need someone to give us life. Our Savior must be able to give life. Give spiritual life. And fourthly, this Savior must be someone who is able to explain these things to us enough for us to respond on the basis of our choice. Man is created with a free will, a free choice. God doesn't force anything on us. We got ourselves into this mess by our own free will. And getting out of this mess will have to be and have to include a choice of our own free will. So we must be able to understand enough to respond intelligently, to accept or reject. Thus we need someone to explain God to us so we can understand and make an intelligent choice. We need someone to explain this all to us. So in order to do that, this Savior must be someone who can meet us at our own level and explain it to us so we can understand You all heard the story of, probably, maybe not all of you, but it was a Paul Harvey story years ago of a bird lover, but not a believer. He could not understand, could not grasp the idea of the incarnation of God becoming human. He didn't understand it, didn't get it, didn't see the need of it. Good guy, his wife and his kids, they were believers, but he just couldn't bring himself to do that. Christmas Eve service. One Christmas, wife and kids went off to the Christmas Eve service. He stayed home. And uh, during the service, or after they had left, a big storm came. And in this storm, he heard some banging at the window. And he looks out and here he sees a bunch of birds. And banging at the window, wanting to get in, out of the cold, right into the light where he was. And uh, so he, being a bit of a bird lover, he felt sorry for the birds and wondered what he should do. And he thought, if I could get those birds to shelter in the barn, if I can get them into the barn, um, they'd be okay. So he opened the barn door and tried to shoo them in. Of course, birds being birds, they're not going to go. 
so he thought and he wondered and he tried this and that and finally he took some some grain or breadcrumbs or whatever he had and he tried to sprinkle a trail of food to the barn so the birds could follow that and get into the barn, get to safety. But as soon as he came out, as soon as he made himself known, the birds were scared and afraid and they all flew off. And he just could not get them into the barn. And he thought there and wondered and he kind of gave up and he went to the house and looked out the window at those birds and just weren't, get, weren't getting it that they could go into the barn and be okay and get out of the storm. And he thought to himself, you know, if I could become a bird, <laughs> if I could just become a bird and go and talk to those birds and explain to them that there's shelter in the barn, if they get in there, they can get out of the... And just then the, heard the church bells ringing at midnight, ringing in Christmas Day. And he realized what he just thought, and he understood for the first time the incarnation. God becoming human so he could explain things to us. And as the story goes, he fell on his knees and accepted his Savior at that point. We need someone who can come down to our level and explain the truth to us. So you see, this Savior has to be an incredible person. If we're going to be saved from the dilemma we are in, we need nothing short of this kind of Savior to do it. Where are we going to find someone who is both infinite and human at the same time? That's a contradiction. <laughs> at least in our human level it is. Where are we going to find someone who of that great magnitude and yet willing to come down to our level and give himself in this way, pay the penalty for our sin, the death penalty for all of our sin, and then on top of that, take the time to explain it to all of us in a way we can understand. So we can make a choice based on our own free will. See, I go through this so detailed and so painstakingly to firmly entrench in our mind the vastness of our need. If the world is to have any hope whatsoever, the Savior must be all of that. Sin is so evil and the consequences of it are so great that it takes nothing short of this awesome a Savior to save us. And I hope this becomes engraved in our mind so that we are never guilty of taking sin lightly or taking the Savior and his sacrifice lightly. We need a Savior. And the Savior has to be so great and so incredible that he is all of this enabled to do what needs to be done. That's the kind of Savior it will take to get us out of the predicament we are in. Okay, secondly, the Savior God provided... Now let's look at John chapter 1. The Savior God provided. Praise the Lord, he's all powerful and is a God who meets needs. And he has by his love provided the Savior that meets all the requirements more than adequately. These 18 verses of John chapter 1 explain just what kind of Savior God provided for us. And as clear as you read those 18 verses, I hope you caught it, as Charlie read it, or you can read it now, it, that, that the word in verse 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. It's clear as you read down through the whole thing, especially when you get to verse 14, that 
This word is Jesus Christ. That's who's being talked about. The word is Jesus. Jesus is the Savior that God provided. So let's go through this passage and just see if Jesus meets the requirements that we uh, just looked at. We said first that the Savior must be infinite. Infinite. Verses 1, 2, and 3. You can look at it while I go on here. It tells us there that Jesus has existed and is existing eternally with God. In fact, it says that he is God. That he is in fact the creator. Verse 10 again. Again says he is the creator. Verse 15. Verse 15, he existed before John the Baptist. Now if you do a look at the, in Luke's account, you see that John the Baptist is actually six months older than Jesus. But here, John says that Jesus existed before him. The last part of verse 14. His glory was seen by men. Glory. That's an interesting phrase. We're going to look at that probably Christmas Day in the glory thing. But it's all pointing to the fact that he is God. Jesus is God. And of course, being God, he's infinite. He's eternal. He has always existed. He always will exist. Being God, he's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. And you can go on. He's infinite. So the first requirement, Jesus is infinite because he's God. Secondly, we said that the Savior must be human. First part of verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus became flesh. The word means literally a human body of flesh and bones. That, by the way, is where we get the word incarnation from. The word incarnation is not found in the Bible. In the flesh. Translated into the Latin is encarne, where we get the English word incarnation from. God come in the flesh. Jesus came as a human. So Jesus, even though he is God, became a human with a human body, just like yours and mine, and came and dwelt on this earth with mankind. Now, when he became a man, he did not stop being God. A careful study of the scriptures on this subject will show us he was fully God and fully man at the same time. He took on that human form 2,000 years ago, or a little more. <laughs> We've been saying 2,000 years for the past 30, 40 years. <laughs> it's 2,025 odd years ago. And he will remain that for all eternity. Have you ever stopped to think about Jesus? will always have that human form. It's not going to change. When he returns... You look at the prophecies, we will see Jesus come, we'll see the scars in his hands and his feet. He took on, he will stay human form for the rest of eternity. He did it so he could be our savior. So the second requirement is met. He is human, just like us. Thirdly, he said that he, we said that he must be able to give spiritual life. That's what we need. You must be able to do it. Verse 4. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. During his ministry, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
This life is the light of men. Verse 12, he's able to bring people into the family of God. It says that many have received him to them. He gave the right to become children of God. Now, in order for that to happen, there must be spiritual life. And Jesus is able to give spiritual life. And fourthly, we said he must be able to communicate the truth to us as humans. That's throughout this, this passage. Verse 4 talks about him being the light of men. That, that speaks of, of, of explanation. Verse 9, it talks about Jesus enlightening every man. Again, referring to making the truth known. Verse 18, Jesus has come and explained God to us. That's what verse 18 says. So the fourth requirement is met. Jesus is the Savior we need. He meets all the requirements. So the only question that remains is, will he? <laughs> He's got the requirements, now will he take the job? <laughs> Verse 6 to 8. There came a man sent from God, his name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light. But he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. So John the Baptist bore witness of the coming Savior. And what was John's witness of the Savior? Jesus Christ? Sneak a peek right down all the way to verse 29. We didn't read that far, but verse 29 says, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we can see as you go through the Gospels that Jesus was willing to offer himself to die to pay the sins for the sins of the entire world. So yes, Jesus did take the job and he came to be our Savior. This is the Savior God provided for us. He is God's Son. His name is Jesus. He adequately meets all the requirements needed for the Savior, to be the Savior of the world, and he did it. He died in our stead, and all that is remaining is for you and I to accept him as our personal Savior. That's where our free will comes in. Come back to the free will thing. Jesus did what needed to be done, and now the ball's in our court. In my court, it's in your court. Just like the exercise of our free will got us into the predicament we're in, we need now to exercise our free will to get out, in the sense of choosing to accept God's offer. That's the, that's the only act that we can do. Everything else Jesus will have to do for us, but we have to choose to believe it, to place our faith in him, and accept him. Savior cannot save you if you choose to reject him. You need to choose to accept him and offer and his offer in order to be saved. And so that's all that is remaining then is to accept Jesus as our personal Savior. You do that with a simple prayer. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I'm lost without you. I accept you as my Savior. Please forgive my sin. Forgive me for my sin come into my life and be that spiritual life that I need. Exact words you use aren't that important, but that's the sense. And that's it. You do that, you're saved. Jesus becomes your personal Savior and saves you from that predicament that you and I are in.
So, do we understand better now why the birth of Jesus is such a big deal? It was by his birth that he became human and did what it took to be our Savior. If he hadn't become human, if he had never been born, we would never have a Savior. We would all be in hell for eternity if that hadn't have happened. But he was born that night so long ago. And he did do what was necessary to save us. Is there anything more worthy of a celebration than that? What a great reason to celebrate. And maybe as we've gone through this, some ideas maybe have come your way as to how you can make your celebrations more appropriate to what we're celebrating. Let's not forget about that as we do our celebrations this coming week. So therefore, as we study the theology behind the Christmas story, we can see clearly the significance of Christmas to you and I personally. We see the Savior we need, our sin, and it is so evil and such dire consequences that we need a Savior who is awesome in the truest sense of the word. Otherwise, he can never save us. And secondly, we see the Savior God provided. God in his love have provided the perfect Savior in his Son, Jesus Christ. Friends, there's so much more to Christmas than exchanging gifts and thinking about a sweet little baby in a manger. This is incredibly significant to you and I. So much so that without it, there is no hope for anyone, including you and I. The significance is that baby met our deepest need. And now it all depends on our response to him. If we want Jesus to meet our deepest need, we need to accept him as our personal savior and commit our lives to him. What does verse 12 say? As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Have you done that? I trust you all have, looking over the audience, I... <laughs> Hope you all have. I, of course, don't know your heart inside your deepest heart, so I, I can't say that for sure. Only you and God know that. But if you never have, that would be a great time to do that. Right now in your own heart. To accept Jesus as your Savior. And then, let's think this week. Do our celebrations line up with what we're celebrating? Let's ponder that during this coming week. Do our celebrations line up with what we are celebrating? I'll give you a few moments of silence and just listen to what God may be saying to you personally in your own heart. What's the word for you here this morning? I'll give you a few moments. Amen. Music team, please.
Thank you for your singing. 